This is the biggest issue in British politics. Well, the Prime Minister and I have made a promise to the British people to stop the votes. Their only policy to send everyone to Rwanda is now completely unravelling. No, go back to Nigeria to go and face persecution. No, no, no. I am determined to live in Europe. Over the past year or so, you might have heard about the government's plan to send some people who come to the UK without permission to Rwanda. Their aim was to send asylum seekers to a country in Africa to have their claims decided there, instead of here in the UK. The Rwanda policy was first announced by our former Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. That was at a press conference on April 14th, 2022. So from today, our new migration and economic development partnership will mean that anyone entering the UK illegally may now be relocated to Rwanda. But it didn't quite go to plan. Two months later, this happened. Due to last-minute interventions by the European Court of Human Rights, all migrants have been removed from the plane and the flight to Rwanda will not take off. Just half an hour before the first flight was meant to take off, a last-minute intervention meant that the asylum seekers on board that plane were able to stay in the UK. But the story doesn't end there. The High Court said that the government's plans were lawful, but in June this year, the Court of Appeal ruled that Rwanda was not a safe third country. And as well as legal challenges, there are lots of strong opinions on this, on all sides. The UK Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, has called this policy her dream and obsession. And the government believes it will save money in the long term and act as a crucial deterrent to dangerous channel crossings. Crossings which have rapidly shot up in the last five years. While in 2018, the UK saw around 300 small boat arrivals. In 2022, according to government numbers, there were over 45,000. But there's a lot of debate about whether the Rwanda policy is the right way to go about things. The Labour Party said that they would reverse it. The UN has also said that the policy goes against the Refugee Convention. And with so many views on this, I really want to make sure that we fully understand like where the policy is at. So that's what we'll be doing today. I'm Mary Manderfield, and this is Noted. Whether or not the government can go through with this plan rests with the Supreme Court. So they're deciding on this right now, and the final decision is expected as early as this month. Now, the outcome of this is obviously really important to people who are in that position of seeking asylum. But this whole topic matters politically as well. So we're going to chat with someone who's been through the UK asylum system themselves. That's Kolbasia Hawusu. But first, to really get to grips with how this policy has unfolded, we're going to hear from a journalist who's been following this story ever since Boris Johnson announced it. Molly Blackall is the global affairs correspondent at the iPaper. Molly, welcome to Noted. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. 
So you were actually in the room when Boris Johnson first announced this policy. Can you share how the Rwanda policy actually came about? Yeah, it was actually an airport hangar, bizarrely, um, in an airfield. We were all dragged there, didn't know why or what was going to be announced, and it turns out it was um, the Rwanda policy. I mean, there had been some build-up to this in the sense that the government has made stopping the small boats crossing the English Channel a big part of, of, of what they want to do. Um, and, and that's for multiple reasons. Firstly, it's that they want to control migration. You know, they want to know how people are getting here and, and who's coming. And they do actually want to bring down migration overall, so they want fewer people to be coming to the UK. So some of it is political and some of it is about the danger, really, of these crossings. They're incredibly dangerous to me. You know, people packed into very flimsy, small dinghies. And just a few months before this was announced, in um, November 2021, there were at least 27 people drowned in the channel in a really terrible channel disaster. So I think that really helped to kind of put this in the spotlight. So in April 2022, they announced this policy, which is anybody who arrives in the UK by unofficial means, like by small boat, could be sent straight to Rwanda. So they wouldn't have their asylum claims heard at all in the UK. If your asylum claim is is granted, if you're allowed um, protection, you would stay in Rwanda. And the idea behind this was that if people thought that they wouldn't be able to actually come to the UK or stay in the UK, they would stop making these crossings. So it's fundamentally the idea is a deterrent. So under this plan, Mm. who would actually decide who would go to Rwanda? Be the Home Office who decide. And they say that they would only send people where, you know, according to their individual circumstances, they would be safe going, it's um, applicable. But there was a survey from um, Care for Calais, which is a refugee charity who supports a lot of the people who've been told they might go to Rwanda. And that found that, contrary to the government narrative, that it would be single men over the age of 18. There were actually three LGBT people on the list. There were 13 women on the list. Um, Lots of those who were being deported had families or were married. Um, And the LGBT plus issue was a real concern because Rwanda hasn't got a brilliant track record on the treatment of that community. If it does go ahead, how many people would actually go to Rwanda and what's the process? What does it look like once they'd arrive? It's a good question. Um, nobody knows. It's the, <laughs> the short answer. There was a flight which nearly took off. The cabin crew had come on. The engines were turned on. And the flight got grounded at the last minute because um, the European Court of Human Rights intervened and basically said you can't do that, we need more time to assess those claims. So the government did get very close to actually sending the first cohort of people over. They have said in terms of numbers that it would be uncapped, so there's basically no um, firm limit, and I think Boris Johnson said that they could take thousands um, over the coming years, but that all depends on how long the deal would be in operation for, it depends, you know, what legal issues they're still going to have to get through, which I'm sure is something that we'll get onto. So nobody quite knows The idea, once they get to Rwanda, is that there's a hotel there which has already been set up and that seems to be all ready to go. And they would wait there and go through then a similar system to the UK. So they would put forward their case and say, you know, I'm from this place. This is the persecution that I've experienced. This is why um, I need to seek asylum. And then that claim would be assessed. If granted, they would um, be given asylum in Rwanda and they would sort of rebuild their lives there. And if not, then they'd be facing potentially deportation or having to apply to sort of live in Rwanda or somewhere else under normal immigration rules. So deportation, does that mean you go back to where you're originally from? 
generally. So if your asylum claim isn't legitimate, you can't just stay. So, um, you know, you could maybe try and apply for a work visa or, you know, try and come through um, migration routes rather than asylum routes. But in many cases, yeah, people do just get sent back to where they're from. Why has this proved to be controversial? I think the first question was about the kind of ethics of it, because as we've spoken about, the people who are generally crossing the channel, nine out of 10 of them do make an asylum claim. So they are saying, whether rightly or wrongly, but they are saying we are victims of persecution and we need a safe place to be. And the majority of those are granted that claim. So they are found after assessment to be legitimate asylum seekers and given protection in the UK. The argument from charities as soon as this was announced was, how can you turn away people who need help? So there was big sort of ethical question over it. The Archbishop of Canterbury came out um, and criticised it. There were even rumours that King Charles privately had said that it was appalling. Whether that is true or not, I'm sure we will never know. And then legally, there was big question marks over it as well. So in his speech announcing the policy, Boris Johnson said up front that he expected it to be challenged in the courts. So from the off, there was a sort of brace for a legal battle. And that's because the right to seek asylum is protected in international law. We all have the right to go somewhere and say, I am not safe where I'm from. Please, can I come and be safe in your country? So I guess what we've got here is like the government under so much scrutiny for this, but from their side, they're saying, look, this is a problem. We have so many people coming to the UK on this like dangerous crossing and we want to to make it seem like not an attractive thing to do. So is that the kind of pressure they're under to do something? And it just so happens that the solution they've come up with is not really going down well to a lot of people, a lot of the public, and also to courts as well. Yeah, I think that is the essence of it. I mean, you know, everybody across the political spectrum who I've spoken to has agreed on one thing, which is that something needs to change here. You know, whether that's because you don't want as many people coming on small boats, whether that's because you don't have a problem with the numbers but you don't want people drowning in the channel everybody i think agrees that the situation right now is not safe and that is because people are dying so there is massive political pressure to um to try and change this and that's something that's being felt across europe charities and people in the refugee space say that essentially what you need as a better alternative is what they describe as safe and legal routes so i think what they're trying to do is find an innovative approach to this and there is some precedent so actually the year before the rwanda policy was announced here denmark announced an agreement quite similar with rwanda to send asylum seekers there they've actually never um, acted on that but this isn't the first time that there's been an idea of trying to effectively outsource your asylum system whether you think that's wrong or right but it's one of the attempts i think that that the government are making it has gone back and forth between courts yeah is there one part of this that fundamentally like the government and courts are disagreeing on at the moment, yes. So there's been a few different um, legal challenges put forward to the policy. Some of them are kind of attacking the concept of the policy, so trying to prove that it's not legal to sort of out- outsource everybody and not process them on your own soil. And some of the legal challenges have focused more on whether Rwanda itself is appropriate as this country to do it. So the current court case that we're in at the moment is on the latter. And basically it's um, a charity called Asylum Aid and 10 people who are actually facing being sent to Rwanda themselves. So 10 of the asylum seekers have joined this legal case. And what the, the sort of current legal issue which is going through the courts is whether the Rwandan asylum system can actually facilitate this. 
And the reason that that is important is because if you can say that if we send people to Rwanda to get their claims assessed and Rwanda can't do it properly, as in they don't have the capacity or the knowledge or whatever it may be to process those claims, there is a risk that they're making incorrect decisions and then somebody, let's say a guy from Afghanistan, they say, no, we don't think that you've got an accurate claim when actually he does. He then gets sent back to the Taliban and there's risks to his life. That violates your right to be protected. And Rwanda has a, a much smaller asylum system. So in 2020, it processed 228 claims. At the same time, the UK processed 19,000. Yeah. So there's a real it's gap in terms of capacity. Yeah. But there are also concerns that have been raised in this legal case. So evidence from the UN found that 100% of asylum seekers from um, Afghanistan and Yemen were turned away at Rwanda. Their claims weren't accepted in Rwanda. Whereas in the UK, those countries, nearly everybody's accepted. So there's some concerns about whether these decisions can be made accurately. And if they can't be made accurately, there is a risk of people losing out on the asylum claim that they should have. And who is it that is supporting this policy that thinks that this is actually a really good idea? There's lots of Conservative MPs, there's lots of Conservative think tanks um, who argue that, you know, this is, even if it's not ideal, that this is the right thing to do. So there are definitely people who, who support it as well. Now, this was first announced by Boris Johnson. Mm. Why is this important for Rishi Sunak now? Well, Rishi Sunak has made stopping the boats one of his five pledges. So there's five things ranging from, you know, the economy to a bunch of other stuff that he has said, judge me on this. And at the end of my time in office, you can vote for me or not based on how well I have done on these five things. So it's really important to him yeah. that he stops these boats. He needs to basically follow through on the promise exactly. that he made. Exactly. It has become quite a big issue. And I think it's also about how much the government's put it on, on their own radar, if you will. You know, they've made a big deal out of the fact that this is something that they want to stop. Um, and so they, they kind of have to live live up to that. And I think one thing that's quite interesting as well, the, the small boats issue is a very visual problem, if this makes sense. So... If you stand on the beach in Dungeness, you can sometimes see people come over. You know, if you live in that community, you will see that fairly often in the summertime, very often. Um, and people can physically see this problem, or at least what they think is a problem. And that kind of makes it more of a political issue. That kind of puts it on the agenda. And what's quite interesting is that people have always come to the UK by irregular means. They've always come, you know, in different ways to seek asylum. And it used to be before sort of 2019, 2020, it was much more common for people to travel on the Eurotunnel. But a lot of the people I've spoken to over the years have pointed out that when you come in the back of a lorry, you don't know where you're going. You just get in a lorry and you get dropped off somewhere, you know, any part of the UK you could go to. You could be in Scotland, you could be in Manchester. Whereas with the small boats, they all arrive in one area and you can see it. Whereas with the lorries, you never saw the people coming over. You never had, you know, one community sort of feeling that burden more than others. So I think in a way it's become a massive political issue because it's a it's an issue that people can see. It is a controversial policy and a plan, but it will be a very bold move if this gets passed through and it happens. And I definitely can see why for Rishi Sunak that's important. Depending on what the Supreme Court decides, what are the possible outcomes for asylum seekers who are either in the UK already or would be coming to the UK? 
Yeah, it all sort of remains to be seen. So we're, we're due to get the Supreme Court's verdict in anywhere between mid-November and mid-December, depending on, on, on estimates. And they are the final court in the UK. So basically this has gone through all the courts and everybody's appealed the decisions. And we're now with the sort of final stage of it in the UK system. So the idea is that if the Supreme Court says, yeah, actually, we think this is lawful, we could see flights taking off very shortly. The government is keen to do that not only because it, it has reaffirmed its commitment to the Rwanda plan, it genuinely thinks that this is the best approach, but also you'd scrape him before an election, which would be good for them. But there's also the possibility that this could go to the European court. So I think people often think that because we've left the EU, we've also left things like the European Convention on Human Rights, which is a big bill of rights that protects a lot of the things that we have, um, or that we've left the European Court of Human Rights, which is where any anything to do with that is is sort of argued out. So there's some suggestions that whoever loses in the Supreme Court could try and take this further. And I think one of the things that is quite interesting also is that when Boris Johnson announced this policy, he backdated it. So he said it would apply to anyone who was coming to the UK by a small boat or anyone who had already come illegally from the 1st of January. So it actually meant that the policy applied to people who'd already made the journey before the policy was announced. So actually, this could be a huge number of people who are affected by this. Thank you so much, Molly, helping us get our head around this Not party. at all. It's a confusing one. So thanks very much for having me on. So we've heard from Molly about what the government's Rwanda policy actually is. And we know that we'll be hearing soon about what decision the Supreme Court will be making. But how does someone who's come to the UK as an asylum seeker themselves actually feel about this. That's coming next. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Welcome back to Noted. Kolbasia Hawusu came to the UK in 2005 after fleeing persecution in Central Africa. He experienced challenges as a refugee in the UK before he co-founded Survivors Speak Out in 2006. It's a national network of torture survivors. He campaigns alongside freedom from torture to make sure asylum seekers' voices are heard when the government makes these kinds of decisions. Thank you so much for joining the show and being on Noted. Can you tell me about your own experiences of coming to the UK in 2005? Coming to the UK, I think it was really challenging and it's a risk that I needed to absolutely take after fleeing torture. I am originally from Chad and Chad is in Africa, Central Africa. I came through by ship and my, my journey took me about seven to eight months and so the process of seeking asylum for you said at first you were held in detention centres and it was quite unwelcoming. At what point did you manage to be granted asylum and know that you could stay in the UK? I think my experience has a two side of it. One is the beginning is really, really bad. And then in immigration detention centre when 
when I explained my case, you know, to the Home Office officer, I think he really treated me with respect and dignity, frankly speaking. We had like a, almost five hours of, you know, questioning, and at the end he said to me that your place, is, your place should not be in the immigration detention center. Your place should be in a, um, in, in a community. And I'm really sorry that, you know, you had to go through that and to be put in immigration detention center. I don't understand why. And, you know, the next morning he came and he released me from that immigration. And I didn't know. I mean, the paper that was signed and I was thinking, OK, I'm just released from immigration detention center. And then after, when I contacted my lawyer, that's what I understood that basically he granted me refugee status. What was your reaction or what was your first thought when you heard about the plans for the Rwanda policy in 2022? I started feeling that fear that, you know, I may be I may be deported and I see those people and then I straight away feeling that, you know, that fear. Oh, you know, those people now certainly going through that same thinking again in their mind. They're going to be deported. They're going to be refuse the protection that they want to see and how that life can be and how that damaging to, you know, people. Because honestly, when I was in the immigration detention, I could not sleep and constantly crying. So I just really thought that we are turning this country to a more, I wouldn't say barbaric, but, you know, no far away from that, where people's life does no matter if they, if they don't have British passport. It's really sad. So the intention behind the policy is to deter people from making that dangerous journey across the channel on small boats. You know, people have lost their lives in that way. And the policy has been successfully challenged by courts. With the campaigning work that you do, what do you see as an alternative solution to the Rwanda policy? I think for me, we, we have an asylum system in place which is not invested into. The system is completely broken. We need to give people opportunity to put the case forward. I am not saying that everybody coming here, you know, need to be granted protection, no. But we need to have a due process in place which really treat people justly, fairly, with respect, and then we'll make a decision. Clearly, this policy is not just about sending asylum seekers to Rwanda. It's about the UK's attitudes towards immigration and asylum seekers as a whole. And it was really interesting to hear from Molly that obviously there is a real problem here and there is a lot riding on this politically as well. And of course, to hear from Kolbasia about his own experience of the asylum system and to hear what he thinks the solution should be. There's no easy answer but this policy and the conversations that we have around it shows how divisive the topic of migration is right now in the UK. We'll see what the Supreme Court's answer is in the next few weeks, so keep an eye out for that. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you hit follow so you know when the next episode is out. And if you want to share your thoughts or your experiences of anything that we've talked about in this episode, we've got a WhatsApp number. So you can drop me a message. You can find that in the show description. I'm Mary Manderfield, and I will be back with you next Wednesday with another episode of Noted. This is a podcast by The News Movement, produced by Persephonica. Hold up. 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.